Now, as you're able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which will be done by one of our Celebrate Recovery leaders, Randy Kellogg. Today we're reading from Galatians 2, 11 through 21. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned, for before certain men came before James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate him, himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, so by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish, follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinf- are not sinful Jews and not sinful Gentiles. Know, know, that this, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, I in, seeking, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also, ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for its righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, before we dive into the, the text today, um, I want to let you know about a couple things that are coming up in November. Uh, November 19th is going to be our Thanksgiving service. And uh, during our Thanksgiving service, we do a couple things. And, and so one of them is that we use that service to celebrate all that God has been doing in the life of Christ Community Church. And so I want you to be thinking about ways that God has blessed you or something God has done in your life in the last calendar year. Um, what has he done? And we would love to hear from you and have you share that information with us. Um, and you can share that with us uh, so that we can also uh, read it and, and hear it, but also share that with others as well. And so the way you're going to do that is, is we're going to have Thanksgiving cards that you can write on and fill out um, just to say what you are thankful for. Uh, there's also a place, uh, you can scan the QR code that you see on the screen right there. Um, and that will take you to a form on our website that will allow you to fill that out. So if you've got like a long story, we would love to hear that and potentially share that in our service, our Thanksgiving service on the 19th. Um, so be thinking about what has God been doing in my life this last year, in our church this last year that is worth celebrating, that is worth giving thanks for, um, and, and share those stories with us. We would love to hear them uh, and, and know about what they are. Uh, and then the other thing that we do during our Thanksgiving service is we have a special Thanksgiving offering. Now, this is an above and beyond offering, so it's not your normal tithe, uh, but it's above and beyond gift. 
And historically, we've used the Thanksgiving offering to pay down the building loan. So we have a $2.2 million uh, building loan still, um, which obviously has interest charges on it. And so we wanna continue to be good stewards of what God has given to us, the resources that he's given to us and continue to pay that down so that we can pay off that, that interest and make sure that that goes away and, and, and focus our, our resources on just doing ministry. And so we're gonna do that this year, but this year the, the session, our elders and deacons came together and said, you know what? Um, God has been faithful to us and we have a church that is very generous and, and, and we're gonna hit our budget and be able to pay you know, and, and do good ministry. But we also want to serve those outside of the walls of the church. And so what can we do to, to serve those on the outside, especially those who have been affected by the war in, in Israel? And so um, we are this year, we're gonna use 25% of our Thanksgiving offering to pay the, on the building loan and then we're gonna use 75% of our Thanksgiving offering uh, to support ministry partners who are working directly with people who have been affected by the war, including Jews for Jesus. And so um, that is what is coming up on the 19th and you will have the opportunity to give before that if you wanna do that online and different things. Um, but we'll tell you how to designate that, but maybe just be, be spending some time in prayer about, hey God, what, you know, what have you been doing this last year that I can be giving thanks for and also, how much can I give to really help those in need and, and help continue to, to provide for good ministry here at Christ Community Church? And so um, those are a couple things that, that we are gonna do coming up on the 19th. Now, <clears throat> let's dive into the text today. <clears throat> but first, uh, September 26, 1983, a man named Stanislav Petrov, uh, who was a Soviet officer, may have saved the world on this day. See, Petrov, uh, he was responsible for monitoring the early warning missile system that was paying attention to whether or not the United States was going to launch missiles against the Soviets. And on September 26, the system started flashing and saying that the Americans had launched missiles uh, that were attacking the Soviet Union. And so Petrov's job was to report this up the ranks so that they could quickly issue a, a counterstrike and launch missiles of their own. And if Petrov went ahead and, and told his superiors about this, um, this strike that was showing up on the system, it very well might have led to nuclear war. Petrov though, he had a feeling in his gut that something was wrong. It, it just didn't seem right, things didn't add up and, and, and he had this belief that no, this is, not, this is not what it looks like. That there really isn't a missile attack. And so instead of, of telling his superiors, he kept this information to himself. And instead what he did was he reported a system malfunction, a system failure. Well, sure enough, there was no actual missile strike that day. And Petrov's actions or inactions may have led to the saving of millions or potentially even billions of lives. Petrov demonstrated faith on this day. Because faith is that belief that drives us towards action. That's what faith is. You all demonstrated faith today when you walked into the building. And you think, we know, we came to worship Jesus. But you demonstrated faith in this building. Now, you probably don't even have to think about it. But when you walked in the doors of this building, you had faith that the, the roof of this building is not going to come crumbling down on us while we're in service today. And so we demonstrate faith in things all the time. Faith is an important part of our lives and it certainly is an important part of what it means to be a Christian. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, it defines faith as this. 
It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so this is what faith is. And this is an important part of what it means to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, this is one of the five solas. We've been in a series where we're talking about the solas and maybe you're not familiar. This really came out of the Reformation some 500 years ago. As a matter of fact, this is technically Reformation weekend because it was October 31st of 1517 when Martin Luther pinned uh, his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle door. And so it's, it's in this month that we talk about, hey, where the church was and, and where the church started going and where the church has come. And, and really what the Reformation was all about was getting back to the core of what it means to be a Christian. And so week one, we talked about scripture alone, that the Bible is the word of God and therefore is the foundation for our lives, is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. So this is our authority as individuals and collectively. And scripture alone will tell us that our faith is all about Christ alone. And so last week we talked about that our faith is built on Christ alone. Being a Christian is to put Jesus first, that he is the head of our church, he's the center of our hearts, he is the center of our lives, again, individually and collectively. And so it is all about Jesus. And we as the church, as the people of God, exist because of and for Jesus. And so we need to keep Jesus in his rightful spot. And so this week, we're going to talk about the idea of sola fide, which means faith alone. And this was an important doctrine in the church. And really, this is probably the primary doctrine that led to the Reformation. Because the, the, the question that was being asked is, how are we justified? What is justification based on? Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, what is, what is justification? What does that, that mean? Um, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 33, has an answer for that. And it says this. So it says, what is justification? It says, it is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So because of Jesus, we receive forgiveness of our sins and we receive his righteousness through faith alone. And so this is what justification is all about. Now the Westminster Kids Catechism, which by the way, if you have kids, I highly, highly, highly recommend going through this with your family and taking time to go through these questions because it just simply asks a question like that and answers it in a way that, that kids can understand. So I've been doing this for the last year with my five, eight and 10 year old and some conversations are better than others. Um, but we tend to go to Starbucks, so they get a treat, and I get to teach them the Bible. So it's a win-win for both parties. But when we talk about justification, uh, the kids' catechism basically says it like this. It, it says that it is God forgiving sinners and treating them as if they had never sinned. And so when we had this conversation, we kind of explained it as, as you know, and I told my kids, it's like if you came up and, and, and you slapped daddy in the face, Right? Don't do that. But if you slapped me in the face and I forgave you and said, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to talk about it, not going to think about it. Uh, I'm not going to punish you for it. That is kind of what justification is all about. That Christ, because of what he did, is able to forgive us of our sins and treat us as if we are in right standing before the Father. And that's what we want. Because the reality is that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we all have a sin problem. We all have a big sin problem. 
We sin a lot. I mean, even the very best of us in this room probably sins at least two to three times a day. But I mean, if you even just take one sin a day and you just go for a year, you've committed 365 crimes against a holy God. That's a lot of crimes and that's deserving of a punishment. And so if you're like, well, no, that's not me. I've never sinned. I'm perfect. There's no way that I've ever had any issue. Um, Sin is rebellion against God. It's disobedience to him. And so sin tends to fall in one of two major categories, sins of commission, sins of omission. And so sins of omission are the things that God has asked us to do that we don't do. So he says, love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So if we've ever put anything above God or had a moment where we didn't love God completely and perfectly, we've committed a sin. The Bible tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. So has anyone in here ever not loved someone perfectly? Or has everyone loved everyone perfectly? No, of course. Like, so we've committed sin of omission in that, in that case. If we know that we're supposed to serve or we're supposed to give and we don't do these things, that's a sin of omission. And then commission are, are the things that we are told not to do and we do them anyways. So don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. And, and we've committed a lot of these sins in our lives as well. Now, some maybe are like, well, I do a really good job of putting on a show for everyone and no one has ever seen my sin and therefore I'm perfect. Well, Jesus has something to say about that as well. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you read the Sermon on the Mount and he says things like, hey, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Well, congratulations, you're patting yourself on the back for not doing that. But he says, if you've ever looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And then he says, you heard in the Bible, you heard in the, the law, it said, do not murder. And we're like, oh yeah, definitely haven't done that one. Look how great I am, right? And he says, well, if you've ever been angry with someone and lashed out in anger where you insulted someone, then that's committing murder in your heart. Now I'm sitting there and I'm reading that and I'm thinking, but that, that doesn't include when I'm in my car by myself, right? Because if so, I've committed a lot of murder on the streets. Now the standard is very, very high. And so we all have a sin problem. We all have a big sin problem. And so what this means is that we stand before God in a sinful state, that we stand condemned. We stand as people deserving of wrath, deserving of judgment. And so we ask ourselves, well, what do we do with that? What do we do with that knowledge? What do we do with that information? And this is what justification is all about. Because the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. In other words, shall not face the the penalty for their crime, but have eternal life. And so that's what it means to be justified. That God is the judge and he is just, but he is also the justifier. And through his blood and his sacrifice, He gives us his righteousness. He takes our sin away and he gives us his righteousness. So we stand before the Father in good standing, justified, made right with him. But how is that possible? Well, it happens through faith alone in Christ alone. And this is what's said in Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17. The apostle Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith 
from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. And so the Apostle Paul makes it clear that this doctrine is all about faith. Now, the problem is, is that in our lives, and 500 years ago, and even 2,000 years ago, we see this battle, this struggle, where it seems clear in Scripture that we are justified by faith. But there are so many people who want to add something to it. And so 500 years ago, during the time of the Reformation, they were saying it's faith. The church was saying it's faith, but faith plus merit. Faith plus works. And the way this was being made visible was through the sale of indulgences. And so indulgences were a way of getting yourself out of purgatory because at that time they said, hey, there's, there's actually three places you can go. You can go to heaven, you can go to hell, or you can go to purgatory. And purgatory is this waiting area, this waiting time. And, and, and you sit in purgatory um, however long it is based on your merit, based on how many good things you've done versus how many sins you've committed. Now we've committed a lot of sins and even if you do a lot of good deeds, you, sin's still gonna weigh heavier than the good deeds. So everyone's gonna have some time in purgatory. And so the church had this idea that, that what we can do is we can actually sell indulgences and then as the church leaders, I can just say, hey, I'm gonna give you some time out of purgatory and, and make your time to heaven a little bit quicker. And so if you give me money, I'll make that quicker for you. Or I'll make it quicker for your, your friend, your brother, your sister, your, your uncle, your aunt, whatever. And, and as a church leader, apparently I have the right to do that. And so the, the bottom line though is that that whole system was based on faith plus merit. That you didn't get into heaven unless your merit was good enough. And so Paul in Romans is addressing this. And, and 500 years ago, Martin Luther started addressing this and, and the reformers started addressing this. But it started in Paul's time 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years before the Reformation. The same issue was being talked about. As a matter of fact, the passage that, that, that Randy read for us in Galatians chapter two, if you got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. The church in Galatia was a, a church that was struggling with its identity because it was a church that had brought together Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. So those who had grown up with a, uh, a religious lifestyle and those who hadn't, and they're coming together as one church and it's probably about 50-50 at this point. But what happened is that some of the Jewish Christians were looking at the Gentile Christians saying, wait, 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 we've always been set apart by the Torah, by the law, by ceremonial law, things like circumcision or Sabbath or um, Passover dinner. And, and if you're not celebrating all these feasts and festivals, like, I don't think you're really a Christian. So you need to go back to the Torah, you need to go back to the law and live a certain way before you can really receive faith and be a part of the gathering, be part of the family of God. And so there were these Gentile Christians that were hearing this and saying, okay, I guess that's what we have to do. And so Paul is writing to the church in Galatia with sadness and with some anger saying, guys, this, this, isn't, this isn't right. This isn't the gospel. And so he actually talks specifically about a conversation that he had with his friend, the apostle Peter, who was also known as Cephas. And so let's look at the text. Here in verse 11, it says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. 
The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So Paul is saying, hey, Peter had this time where he was, he was meeting with all these, the, this, this church, right? And this church has these Christians and, and there's Christians again who grew up in church, grew up religious by nature and, and all these new Christians who really didn't have a church background. And so they didn't know exactly how, like when to stand, when to sit, what to wear, what to say at certain times, all these kind of things. And basically, Peter's friends came who, who, you know, knew him from his previous church, essentially. And they're coming and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Your new church is kind of weird. Like, there's a whole bunch of people there, and they've, they've never been to a VBS before. Like, they, they need to go back and pretend like they're in elementary school for a couple of weeks so that they can go through Sunday school. Like, they've never been to all these Bible studies. Uh, they, they've never done, you know, they've never been on this mission trip or that mission trip. Like, it, it's, they haven't experienced what we have experienced. And so they need to go back and do all these things before they can belong. And so Peter started separating himself from the Gentile Christians, from these new believers, because they hadn't practiced the Old Testament law. And so Paul is calling this out and saying, Peter, like you're, you're ignoring some brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says this in verse 14. He says, when I saw they were not acting, this is the, the Jewish Christians, when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of, of, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And so basically saying, you're not living in line with the gospel because you're not living in freedom. You're not pointing people to faith in Christ, but you're pointing people to faith and works in order to earn Christ. And so he calls Peter out and he says, Peter, you're living in the freedom that you know you have in Jesus, but you're telling all these other people not to live in freedom, but instead to live as people of the law trying to earn salvation. And so you're living differently and you're living in the right way, but you're telling others to live in a way that is wrong. And so you're telling them to do the things that you are already free from doing. Then that doesn't make any sense. And so he says in verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, this might sound familiar if, if you've been here over the last few months because there was a, a Sunday where we talked about Acts chapter 15. And Acts chapter 15 was the Jerusalem council and the church gathered together to answer a question of what do we do with these Gentile believers? And they came to the conclusion that we're not gonna put an extra yoke on the Gentile believers, that they don't need to go and be Jewish and practice all our Jewish customs and practices before they can be Christians. He said, we're not gonna tell them to go obey the law to earn their faith and their salvation. No, faith is in, salvation is found in faith in Christ. And that's it. And so what they're arguing here is that justification is by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. And, and this was the, the argument and the conclusion they came to in Acts chapter 15. And, and maybe it was because of this interaction that, that Paul, Peter, James, all these names that have been mentioned, all came together and said the same thing that Paul is saying right here. 
They said, listen, we've tried the law and it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough. When we tried to be obedient to law, we found that we cannot earn our salvation according to the law. Because every time we try and live according to the law, we always come up short. We always find ourselves lacking. And so Paul is making this argument to Peter and really to the church in in Galatia saying, why would we try and put that on others? Like, why would we basically tell others, hey, go and fail before you can succeed? Like, if I can offer them success, if I can offer them faith in Christ, I'm going to point them to Jesus not to the thing that wasn't sufficient, that was meant to point to Jesus to begin with. Let's just give them Jesus to start with. And so he's saying justification is by faith alone. Romans 10.9 would say this, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the gospel message. But the doctrine of sola fide This doctrine of faith alone is that yes, justification is by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Justification is by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Meaning our faith is going to lead to transformed hearts. We saw this with Petrov back in 1983, that he had a faith that something was wrong. Now he could have just reported it, done his duty, and gone through the motions. But he had a faith that knows that if I report this, something bad is gonna happen. And I think it's better to leave it because I don't think this is what the system is telling me it is. And for Christians, we have a faith in something much bigger. We have a faith in Christ. And that transforms who we are. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says at the the next part of Galatians 2. He says in verse 17, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. And so this is a community thing, saying, hey, the Gentiles can come in because they have received grace in the same way we had. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. And so this, he's talking about that desire to achieve salvation based on our works. And then listen, he he has this language where you hear death and you hear life. And so verse 19, he says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So Paul makes it very clear. Justification is by faith alone in Christ alone. We cannot earn it. If we could have earned it, Christ didn't need to go to the cross. There was no point in that. But we desperately needed him to do what he did so that we can live in the life that he has offered to us. But Paul also makes this distinction. He says there was an old way of living, an old life, And when I put my trust in Christ, yes, my sin is gone. My sin is washed away. My sin is dead and buried, but so is that old life. And instead I get to walk in this new life, the life in Christ, the life in Jesus. Why would I go back to my old ways? 
when I can live a life that glorifies Jesus. And so this is what it means to live by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Our faith should transform us. Because think about what we are saying we believe. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that term Lord was a political term before it was a religious term. We call Jesus King, which means he has rule and reign over our hearts and our lives. We say that we believe Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. That's in John 10, 10. And if I believe that, why would I not go the direction that he calls me to go? Why would I not do the things that he's called me to do? No, we live lives for Christ, living out our faith, because God has given us an ability to do it. It's not to earn salvation, but it's because of what we have been given. Look, I want to address this because there are some who would argue against faith alone. And this would be the verse, the easiest verse they could point to. So we're not trying to hide anything in church today. Pretend like this doesn't exist. James chapter two, verse 24. It says this. It says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Well, thank you, James. Right, we just wasted the last 20 minutes of our time together because everything I've been preaching is wrong according to James. No, what, what, what do we do with this? Are, are James and Paul in, in, in conflict here? Well, no. And there's a couple of reasons to uh, believe that. First of all is that we've already seen that James in Acts 15, that James is there with the council and, and preaches the same message that Paul and Peter will preach and that Paul is preaching right now. That, that the Gentiles are saved through faith in Christ. So he believes that. There's no doubt about it. But also you look at the context of James and what you see is Paul in Romans and in Galatians is answering a different question than what James is answering in his letter. So Paul is talking to a wide range of people and he is answering the question, how are we justified? How are we saved? How do we stand right before God? And he's saying it's through faith alone. James would agree with that, but he's answering another question he's answering the question of what does faith look like? Can I have faith that, that doesn't do anything? In other words, can I you know, raise my hand in church and say, yes, I wanna believe in Jesus and pray a sinner's prayer. And that's my only time ever in church. And I just go back to living exactly how I always lived before. And I'm saved and I'm good. James is saying, no, because it's not true faith. I don't know why you prayed that prayer, but it wasn't because you had faith in Jesus. Because faith in Jesus is going to transform you. It's going to lead you to action. Because if you really understand who God is, and you really understand what he did for us through Christ, and the plan he has for us, and the goodness of this word, things are going to change. And here's the thing, Christians, it's not going to happen instantly. Right? It's not like we put our trust in Jesus, we pray this prayer, and then all of a sudden we are a completely perfect person. No, there's a process of sanctification that takes place over time through spending time in God's word, through letting the spirit work in our hearts, through being in community, through working out our salvation, we become more and more like Christ. But we're still gonna sin, we're still gonna make mistakes, we're still gonna have times where we don't love perfectly, where, where we mistreat people, where we don't do the right thing. And in those moments, we, 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 we confess that to God, 
we turn it over to him and we keep walking in the path that he has laid out before us. And so this is how we want to live. Understanding that we are justified by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. And so faith in Jesus does three things. Number one is this. It restores us to relationship with God. Being a Christian is about relationship. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. We get to have a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. In our sinful state, we're separated from him. We're people deserving of wrath. But because of our faith in Christ and what he has done for us, we are adopted into his family. We're called sons and daughters of the most high king. Praise God for that truth. The second thing is that faith in Jesus offers us assurance of salvation. Go back to John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this is the good news that we have in Christ. That through his death and his resurrection, our sins are washed away and forgiven and we have life with him in eternity. We have assurance of salvation. And the third thing is that it motivates us to love. It motivates us to love. Jesus said the greatest commandment, the greatest thing we can do is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we receive faith and we put our faith in Jesus, it's gonna motivate us towards love. Like if we really understand who he is and what he's done for us, we're gonna respond with love and gratitude like we just sang about a little bit ago to our heavenly father. And we're gonna fall more and more in love with him each and every day. But we're also going to demonstrate love towards others because God has given us an amazing gift and we want to share that with others. And so justification by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone, is about understanding the correct order of things that we receive and then we get to live in obedience and give love towards others because of all that we have been given. And so it's not to earn, but it's because of what we have already received. It's a response to what God has already done. And so my encouragement for us is to keep putting these, these verses into our heart, read them, memorize them, learn them, so that when you're tempted to say, oh, I have to earn something, I have to do this to earn God's love. If I, if I don't do this thing, God's love is gonna be taken away from me. Remember that it is faith alone in Christ alone. But also live out the faith that you have. Be a light, be a witness. Demonstrate love to God and to others. Let's live according to the doctrine of faith alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. Give you thanks for this time together with my brothers and sisters here in this room and, and those who are watching online. God, we thank you that you have allowed us to put our faith in you and that salvation simply comes from the work you have done. And we just have to receive that. God, I pray that we would have a faith that is strong and genuine 
A faith that draws us closer to you each and every day. A faith that loves others and shows them who you are. How great and amazing and wonderful is your love. And so God, let us live out the faith that we have in you. Being a light to this world, showing people the hope that they can experience and knowing you and putting their faith in you as well. God, we love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.